Welcome to the University of Coruscant. As part of your enrollment here, you have access to the attached Holonet recording. You've selected a lecture by Dr. Sonny Ravencourt on galactic history. You've selected a lecture by Dr. Sonny Ravencourt on mounted weapons. If you have any questions about this lecture or wish to contact us, please visit universityofcoruscant.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really, I truly appreciate these warm welcomes you give me. I'm happy to say that a number of you found my missing statue. Remember that one? Some of you made a statue in my likeness, which I put in the hallway. Well, wouldn't you believe it, but a few of you found that same statue in the lower levels in a trash compactor. (laughs) Can you believe that? I wonder how it could have possibly gotten there. Either way, thank you so much for retrieving that. I've secured it to the floor in the staff lounge with Durasteel bolts this time to make sure that it doesn't accidentally fall into another incineration chute. Who knows how these things can go missing? I was just asking Dean Gambino if she'd seen it, and she just walked away from me. I assume it was her searching that must have led you to it. I'll have to thank her for that after class. I know, I'll invite her to the staff lounge to show her its new location. Perfect. Well, today, we're going to look at some of the most well-recognized but least understood class of weapons, and that's what I'm going to call mounted weaponry. Now, of course, some of these aren't technically mounted to anything, and they're freestanding, but presumably the part that shoots stuff is so big that it requires it to be mounted to something. Hence, mounted weaponry. Basically, these are weapons that are just too big to be carried by any running soldier. A lot of you are decently familiar with historic Galactic Empire-era ships, and it doesn't get much more famous than an Imperial-class Star Destroyer. Some of you are probably familiar with a bunch of other Galactic-era starships, but I'll bet you aren't familiar with the turbo laser that was stacked by the dozen on all of these, dealing out the real damage. And that, my students, is the Taemenbach XX-9 Heavy Turbo Laser. The XX-9 Heavy Turbo Laser has a very distinctive sound. Obviously, I could not bring one of those into this room, but here is a hollow recording of that sound. Oh, no, wait. That is the sound of a Death Star blowing up. Um, here it is. Nope, I'm sorry, that is another Death Star blowing up. Okay, here it is. Yeah, that's it. I I don't know what it is about that sound, but it is just perfect. I just love that sound. Is that weird? I mean, I don't know, that might be weird, but it is just a perfect sound. So what is a turbo laser? Well, we already discussed that a blaster is just firing high-energy plasma bolts created by exciting energy-rich gases, right? If you're confused by this, go back and listen to my lecture on blaster pistols. It was excellent, of course. A blaster bolt and a laser, the terms are pretty much used synonymously. A blaster shoots blaster bolts, a blaster shoots lasers, whatever. It's all the same in the common vernacular. The turbo laser, think turbo blaster if that helps, 
That's a two-stage process. The first stage makes the blaster bolt just like normal, and then the second stage is that that same bolt is passed through another round of high-energy gases, giving it a whole bunch more potency. It's that second stage that really gives it the magic. It works out, though, to be almost triple the power. Now, consistent with the Galactic Empire strategy on things, more is always better. Your average Imperial-class Star Destroyer had 60 of the XXR heavy turbo lasers mounted on it. They did a bit of creative engineering to limit the movement on the barrel so that you couldn't accidentally fire a couple of those rounds into your own hull by aiming down too far. And I should clarify, when I say rounds in plural, I mean that the XXR has two barrels. The whole thing looks like two giant cubes, one stacked on top of each other, and the top cube can rotate because it has the barrels on it. It's a pretty simple design when you really look at it. So there's always upside and downside to a weapon like this, right? The upside is that they have tremendous damage both in space and as an orbital bombardment. If you have 60 turbo lasers on your Star Destroyer, you're a pretty feared spacecraft that can blow just about anything out of the sky. The other upside is that they're controlled remotely by somebody who is nowhere near danger. The downside to this whole thing is that the mechanism to move the barrels and control all that power, well, that's pretty complicated. And so it can inherently break down pretty easily. And since they're on the outside of a ship, well, you know, that's not getting fixed very quickly if it does break. Also, they sacrificed a lot of agility for power with the XXR. They didn't rotate very fast, so they weren't great at picking off individual fighters. These things were fabulous for blowing giant birds out of space, but not so good at swatting mosquitoes. The first Death Star had a million of these things, and it was ultimately blown up by an X-Wing that it just couldn't hit. Next up, let's take a look at one of the coolest looking mounted blasters ever. The Atgar 1.4 FD P-Tower Laser Cannon. Now, that's a lot of words, so let's just call it the P-Tower. Some of you guys may remember this in the hollow vids of the Battle of Hoth between the Galactic Empire and the Rebel Alliance in 3 ABY. It's a little bit hard to describe, but if you think about a giant dinner plate the size of your outstretched arms, so a full wingspan, with a barrel coming out of the middle of the plate. It's mounted to a base, and in order to fire that cannon, you need to be behind the dinner plate to aim it. And once you've aimed your dinner plate at the target, it focuses all that concave energy out of the plate and out through the cannon barrel in one huge bolt. Functionally, it's, it's the same as any blaster. It's just a lot bigger. Now, the P-Tower, which incidentally doesn't look like a tower at all to me, well, it may have had its most famous day in history firing big blaster bolts at things at the Battle of Hoth, but it's hard to say that Hoth was its best day. First of all, it could only fire eight shots before a whole team of engineers had to change out the batteries. So those shots better count, right? Well, the Rebel Alliance was using it against AT-AT walkers, and the P-Tower bolts just bounced right off that thick armor. They could use it against the ground troops, but that's really not what it was meant for, 
and it takes a lot of energy and time to aim it. In short, one of the coolest looking weapons is most famous at the Battle of Hoth for being not effective whatsoever, which is really too bad. Okay, let's switch gears here for a little bit. Imagine you are on a hill. You've been told that you have to defend this location. Enemies could come from anywhere, but you're going to see them coming. Could I interest you in a mounted 360 degree heavy repeating blaster that can blaze out round after round after round of bolts big enough to take out a land speeder? I'll bet I could interest you in that. By taking an old Mersan munitions design, our good friends at Blastech give you the E-Web Repeating Blaster. E-Web is somehow short for Emplacement Weapon Heavy Blaster. I guess they just don't like the letter H for some reason. It's the same old story with this one, with a couple of small differences. It's got great firepower. And this thing moves around a lot faster than the other examples that we've seen, but it's still got the same issues. You can't carry this thing initially. It needs to be dropped off and then you'll spend a good 15 minutes with two skilled operators to set it up and then fire. Moving it after that's done is apparently easier and you can reassemble it in about five minutes provided you can drag it to the next spot. But as far as simplicity goes, it's a pretty handy military tool that you can have in the bag for defense, right? You want to make a certain corridor a death trap? Well, how about setting up an e-web at the end of that thing? The e-webs were really popular for the Galactic Empire, which should really tell you something about their ability to be mass-produced. All in all, highly effective weapon with a few typical drawbacks associated with all mounted weapons. And finally, we have something special. It is huge. It's a giant ball with a pointy little barrel coming out of it, and it's so power hungry that you have to build a reactor 40 feet below it just to make it work. This is the DKY V150 Planet Defender. Yay! Okay, seriously. If you are in need of a weapon that can fire from the ground into outer space and needs a crew of 27 to operate it, well, this is your cannon. And here's the best part. It fires ion bolts that can disable a Star Destroyer all from the comfort of your own base. Now, it's been a lot of classes so far, and we haven't really talked about ion cannons very much at all. Ion weapons use negatively charged ions to create a bolt that looks a lot like a blaster bolt, but behaves very differently. They really screw with electronics and shields. Ion cannons would largely be used to disable ships or vehicles before turbolasers would then step in and chew through the armor. In the case of the planet Defender, it was used in conjunction with the planet Shields. You'd use a firing computer to time out a quick drop of the planetary shield and then shoot out some ion blasts really fast to help disable the ships. And then you quick put the shields back up. The Rebel Alliance also used them heavily on Hoth to disable the Star Destroyers in orbit, while the transport ships then flew right by them. Ion cannons are still in wide use today because we still rely on electronics. If you have something that can disable the shields and turn off the enemy's power, well that's going to give you a massive advantage. And if you build a sphere big enough that its cannon can disable ships in orbit above your base, well, I mean, that's not bad either, right? 
Okay, I think we have time for one question today. Who's going to be up? Who's going to do it? Ah, Mr. Tronda still here has asked why there are only ion cannons and he hasn't ever heard of ion blasters. Well, to that I say there are ion blasters. And I'll bet you can guess what they're used on. Droids. (laughs) Think about it. If you're in the business of shooting droids, you don't really need regular blaster bolts. Although, I mean, those will work too. Let me rephrase. If you're in the business of capturing droids, well, then you absolutely need ion bolts. There's been some good ion blasters cobbled together over the years, mostly by scavengers. Not a lot of these in mass production because its use is pretty limited. I mean, you need to disable a droid, but not kill it. Probably to resell it to farmers or somebody local. I mean, who knows, right? Well, that's gonna be it for today. Homework for next week is to take a regular blaster, if you have one, and see if you can't make that into a turbo laser. Have fun, what's the worst that could happen? This concludes your selected lecture from the University of Coruscant. For all questions or to contact us, please visit the universityofcoruscant.com.